Hello, hello, everyone. This is Tanika Drake from God's Gift Through His Word. You are listening to Walk in Truth Radio with my amazing friend, Pastor Jay. Please be sure to get your encouraging word each and every day on the following podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, Player FM, CastBox, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Podbyte, LoftyCast.com, Google Play Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Breaker. Please be sure to always tune in. He always has an amazing, encouraging word. God bless your hearts. Be blessed, motivated, and inspired. Take care, you all. Hello, this is Pastor Jay with Real Talk Weekend. Just want to discuss some of the things that uh, may be on your mind and things that I've gotten emails about and text messages about. And what's hot this week and what people are discussing this week is pastoral abuse of power in leading their people. And it's sad that um, in the news these pastors are getting portrayed and betrayed um, not only by their congregations but also by the media what I mean by betrayed is that they have done all they can to cover up what they've done and yet still it comes out and, and, and there's somebody always in the camp that's willing to expose What probably was trying to be confidential. I want to make it clear when anyone of authority is doing wrong, it should be exposed. And a lot of times with God, He gives us a chance to deal with it between you and Him. (coughs) Excuse me. We get a chance to, to get it right or to correct it before it even gets started. You know, the Bible clearly talks about the way sin is born into by our thought patterns. And then if our thought patterns are acted upon and we just dwell on them, they become sin. Well, there's a couple of prominent pastors um, that's out here in the uh, media that are just, they've gotten caught up. And the question was asked, should they sit down? And that simple answer to that is yes. They should sit down if they get caught up. But the question that I always ask a lot of my peers is this. How long and how do you restore such a one? Or is this one of those situations that depending on upon what it is, they may be uh, removed from pastoring a congregation forever um, due to denominational guidelines and rules and regulations and bylaws and or does the Bible remove them uh, forever? Is there any restoration? Does Galatians 6 and 1 where it talks about those who are spiritual restore such a one? Is that just simply when somebody makes a mistake other than the pastor and it's a mistake not necessarily a sin? I've heard that uh, interpreted that way. Um 
fair? No, it's not fair because the pastor is looking forward to restoring anyone that has committed any kind of sin. But should the leader be held to a higher standard? Uh, in James, it talks about some of us should not be teachers because we will be held to this higher standard. So, my opinion, this is my opinion. I think that everyone should take responsibility for their own actions. They should not get before the people and claim that they were coerced, convinced, or manipulated into doing something that they know is wrong. Not only do they have natural discernment, but they also claim to have spiritual discernment, which definitely tells you what's right and wrong. Anyone can slip into a situation due to the being able to not handle uh, the prestige, the power, the fame, and then uh, fall into debauchery. That happened to me before I got saved. Um, with the wealth that I had and the power that I had and the prestige that I had, um, didn't really mean to, but you know, I was using secular logic and living in the flesh that would say, I pay the cost to be boss as long as everything is solid. I can do what I want to do. That's, you know, and that's strictly crazy and wrong, <clears throat> but that's Western society. I mean, that's what basically our Western society tells us that as long as you're willing to pay for it, we can do it. And as long as we do it and can do it discreetly where nobody finds out, we can continue to do it even the more. So why not pastors, bishops and clergy, male and female alike, uh, getting caught up into the fame. One of the biggest issues I, and, and challenges is that the church, the body in the church, the people in the pews have to take some responsibility for creating these situations in the sense of we begin to worship and idolize our pastors and some of them can't handle that level of veneration. And I urge all people who sit in the pew, don't venerate, idolize, worship your pastor that's that you're doing them a disservice at that point you're, you're hurting them and you're eventually going to hurt the congregation because if they don't know how to tamp that down and squash it they'll eat it up and they'll grow and then you'll make a monster that you could never ever imagine and then they'll be more likely to fall into temptation with that because you've told them that they're almost like God always remind yourself and in times remind your pastor you're my guide, not my God. He doesn't hold the destiny of your life in his hands. He's going to be responsible for what he says to you, and you're going to be responsible how you respond to it. But he is not a guru. He is not your God, and he's certainly not a genie. So why do we in the Western culture venerate our pastors to the point that they're gods? The Bible clearly tells us not to. Even Paul said when they were trying to worship him, and he did actual miracles, and I said actual miracles, he said, he told them to get up because they are men with like affection, excuse me, affections as they are. He never sought their worship. He wanted them to seek their understanding. And I can understand in Jesus' day how the apostles with the miracles that they did, how someone would begin to worship them but in every case, they, they said, no, this is just a sign. What was the sign? That they were who they said they were. 
It was not meant to be worshipped. We worship the message. I mean, the the messenger versus trying to understand the message. The most powerful thing the apostles had was not the miracles that were done to the people to uh, uh, validate who they are, but the messages they carried that could save the sin-sick soul. So we need to think about that as we go through um, dealing in church. You know, I get a lot of emails and, and, and videos from people that have left what they quote unquote is called the organized church for something. Um, and I would say to th- that, I would say this to that organized church is only as good as the people and the leaders are meaning that, um, there are some good organized churches out here. I mean, come on, let's be for real. And if you get caught up in one that's, that's, uh, not healthy, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Being unorganized is not necessarily um, good. I mean, because <coughs> what I find out is when they tell their story of what they're doing, they're just lone rangers. And a lot of them sometimes sound disgruntled about elevation, promotion. And they disguise it with a few things about money. But it sounds, if you keep listening close enough, they're upset because something didn't happen the way they wanted to. They were passed over, looked be, looked over in their opinion. And that falls back to knowing their Bible says that humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. And in due time, he will exalt you. And as you, as the way you humble yourself is humi- humility. Um, when that time comes where you think that you deserve something in, in the, in the uh, Christian world and <clears throat> you are humbled because you didn't get it and you remember that scripture and you'll find out that because you humbled yourself and didn't make a big deal about it, God will bring you to a bigger venue, a bigger platform. Uh, and that's one of the tests that I use with, with the ministers that are under walking truth. I use the fact of humiliation in that sense of sometimes watching them prepare for something and invite people to come hear them speak and all of that, you know, and, and that's good sometime, but that can get overdone because what happens is that if you let them know too far in advance, they'll do that every time. The people are not coming to hear a word of God. They're coming to support them. Well, the mission field will be around people that you don't know. And I want you to speak to one as you speak to 1000. So I may tell you that you're going to speak. And then when it comes time, after you invite the people, the humiliation comes when you don't speak. That's my prerogative. And it's to show you that I want to see how you act when you don't get what you want. And then the next thing I do is go to the next level. I just call them up to speak because they are supposed to be the ones who call themselves preachers and are called to preach. They supposed to be ready in season and out of season. So I don't give them a uh, notice. So the first test is dealing with humiliation. And the second test is the humiliation of being called on the spot. Being called on the spot. So again, with this uh, phenomena of pastor worship, um, it shouldn't be done. And the pastors should know better when it comes at them. The Bible tells us be, 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 be concerned about flattery when it comes. You know, don't take it in too much. Don't believe the hype in the secular world. Because you're, you're only as good as your last sermon. 
let something happen and they won't remember a sermon that you ever preached. Let something happen and the sermon that, that they supposedly got saved on, they won't even remember you. And that's the interesting part of the body of Christ. We have such short memories. And, and it tell, you tell it, you know you know you can find this out because some people when they get a chance to do a testimony, they still uh, uh, running on the fumes of a testimony that was 20 years old. You mean you got saved 20 years ago and it's a great testimony, but you can't find anything that God has done for you between now and 20 years ago. Uh, one of my uh, pastors that I listened to in Africa, it was kind of funny what he said. He said, eight years ago? You mean you don't have a testimony that's fresh and new, but a testimony that's eight years stale? Yeah. So I just want you to think about that, and we're going to go into part two with the next subject matter. So we're going to take a break and look forward to seeing you on the other side. Peace. Hey, this is Pastor Sutton on the other side. Uh, Real Talk Weekend. Um, wanted to read you a uh, email that I received about uh, hypocrisy in the church. Uh, this is from Eva, and I won't give her last name. She said, Dr. J, why are church people so mean and so hypocritical? They act one way in church. And I see them do something totally different outside of church. There's a lady on my job who walks around always talking about Jesus, but is real mean when it comes to everyday dealing with her. What do you think about that? Is that how church really is? Because I would never want to go. Exclamation point. Eva, uh, at Walk of Truth, we talk about this every day. I tell them that sometimes I wish I could be a fly on the wall and watch them as they deal with the public out here in the marketplace every day. I know there's a certain behavior that they have inside of the church building or around the saints. But I want to see how they deal with people who don't think like them, who don't talk like them, who don't act like them, don't dress like them, don't go to church. How do they handle those who have different belief systems. You know, there's one thing to have your own preferences, but it's another thing to have make it a prejudice to whereas we put another person down to make ourselves look good or to be persuasive in a way that is demeaning. And I find that church folk, and I'm going to use that word, colloquial word, church folk, Sometimes, and not all of them, tend to be the meanest people I've ever met. And the hypocrisy is there, but I, but I want to say this about the hypocrisy. That's why they're in church, because they are hypocrites and they need to get it together. You know, a church is a place for that, uh, to be around others, hopefully that'll change that. But sometimes uh, they get around other people who foster that privileged, prejudiced attitude. And what they do is take it out into the street. And their greeting may be, how you doing? And the response from the church person is, blessed and highly favored. Then everything else out their mouth from that point on is negative, derogatory, 
and cursing. And the Bible tells us about the problem with our tongue, which is an actual heart problem, that we have the sweet words of God coming out of our mouth, and the same mouth comes this bitterness and this uh, evilness. And I don't understand it at all. I really don't. I, I have a hard time um, understanding it. When I was just minister sudden, I saw it more because I could drift in and out of a conversation or around people who are saints of God and I would notice it. But now that I'm pastor sudden, you know, I have to listen more closely because they know that I'm there. So they tend to clean up their act. But you know what? Discernment tells me when they're cleaning up their act and when they're not. Um, I know one time that uh, just to show you, one person we were we were telling me that uh, they were uh, going to one place and that they were going to worship. They were going to pray. This is why they were going. And I just say, OK, because if it's not true, God will surely show you. The Bible does teach what's done in the dark is going to be brought to light. So here comes the hypocrisy. Their voice and their mouth and their words were they were going to do something that was good and holy and right. But guess what? God let God put somebody in the same place that they were. And pretty much it was not the place they said they were going to. And it was the place opposite of everything that I said. It was unholy. It was unrighteous. And a saint shouldn't have been there. But they were there. And they were not there to win souls. They were there to participate in the debauchery at the moment. Because somebody I know who was not saved told me about it. Now, what happens when when the person gets caught up like that, They their response, and I didn't bring it to them. I've never brought it to them. Their response might be angry towards uh, me. Ask me who told me. They might lie. Or they might repent. But I think that's something that they already know. They're hiding. And therefore, when you're hiding all the time, you have to present yourself one way one day and then the true way the next day. Because the group that you're running with that, that doesn't really care about church wants to hear you do what you normally do. And when you act like that, you're becoming a, a, a stumbling block for them. People can't see Jesus in you because you're too busy trying to prove to them that you're still, still in the street with them. The Bible clearly tells us to come out from among them. And there's a period of time once you get saved, you really need to associate yourself and disassociate yourself from people. You need to kind of mature yourself before you go back and try to reach back and bring them along. Because the Bible tells us a funny thing, and I, and I always find it quite interesting. It says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So if a little leaven leavens the whole lump, then I must be careful when I go back to my leaven behavior, my leaven people, while I'm trying to grow up and be saved, that they don't infect me. And a lot of times, because now, you have this duality and this war going on inside you that the Bible talks about between the old man and the new man. The old man turns up the heat. And I found that Christians end up doing uh, worse because there is a battle where before it wasn't a battle, but now there is. And it goes on. 
Christians can and will be as mean as any junkyard dog. Should they be? No. They should be gracious, merciful, humble people. Excuse me. This is where Bible study comes in. If you have a good Bible study teacher, you will begin to learn the passages that will help you conduct your life in a way that won't be hypocritical, but be very conscious and understanding of your own behavior and not so much of somebody else's. The Bible says in James that God would rather have mercy rather than judgment. Well, if he would rather me to have mercy and he has mercy on me, then I need to give this mercy out to other people. I don't need to be judgmental. The Bible says we are already condemned already because of what we don't believe. I don't need to continue to harp on that. I need to figure out a way to talk to you in a in a manner that will will convince you that there is a savior out there for you and that your problem is not the fruit, what we see manifested, but it's a deeper problem of sin. And the easy way that I do it, and I'll give you give this trick out, feel, felt, found. I understand how you feel. I felt the same way until I found out. And you can say that without saying feel, felt, found. But if you need to in the beginning, use that. I understand how you feel. I felt the same way until I found out. And then the fact that you were empathizing and sympathizing with a person, <coughs> excuse me, and um, allowing them to see the humanity in you more likely and see the conversion they will get curious because you said that you swam in the same water they swam in, but now you swim in a different pond. So, no, there's no reason to be hypocritical, Eva. Um, I'm sorry that you ran into church folk that have been very mean, um, very callous, hard-hearted because they become religious and we quickly forget who saved us and we want to act like we know more about life and God than anybody else and I want to tell you something saints God will reveal himself to whom he chooses just remember that he will give revelation to someone that you think doesn't doesn't deserve the revelation but if you really think about it you don't deserve the revelation either and maybe that's your stumbling block you think because you come to Christ he has to give you this revelation Well, he didn't have to save you. He did that because he loved you. And when you love him, I found out and be merciful like him and forgiving because of him. He'll give you revelation to deal with others. And we won't have people like Eva right now talking about how hypocritical and mean we are. This is Pastor Sutton with Walk in Truth. Just want to talk to you guys today. Real Talk Weekend. I will catch you for part three on the other side. Peace. This is Pastor Jay with Real Talk Weekend with part three. I always like to uh, leave the conversation from this year forward with something that's positive. And not that what we were talking about before is not positive, but it's kind of heavy. So I want to I lighten up, but be heavy too. Who told you God can't use you? Who's told you that? Some preacher tell you that? Some sister, saint, mother told you God can't use you in your present condition because you are doing so much sin? 
That's not true. If you think about it, the Bible teaches that he saved us while we were still yet sinners. God can use you as he chooses. He's sovereign. He doesn't need any uh, denominational uh, hierarchy or, or permission to use you. He used Paul. He used David. He used Noah. He used Moses. He used Rahab. What do you mean he can't use you? He used Joseph. Oh, these are no, read a little careful. Read a little bit more careful. These are just clay feet people just like you. God can really use you. And he wants to use you. And one of the ways he will use you, he will use you willingly or unwillingly. Everything on this earth that's alive will eventually bring about God's end and his glory. Whether it's a vessel for dishonor or a vessel for honor, God's glory will be recognized. Why do you think it says every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess? Those who believe and those who don't believe going to be that, 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 that uh, friction is going to be so evident and the person's going to, going to, going to bend their knee. They're going to submit to God and God is going to use their unbelief to magnify the believers. And he's going to use the believers to magnify the unbelievers. He's going to use you. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road. How do you want to be used? I want to be willingly used by God for the furtherance of the gospel, for the help of the people, to show people love and mercy and kindness and long suffering and strength and integrity and discipline. I want to be used. There was a time in my life I didn't want to be used, didn't care to be used. That was for them. But God was so merciful to me that he gave me an opportunity to see the difference. A life with him and a death without him. Did you hear what I said? A life with him and a death without him. What is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? We say that so glibly. And few of us get a chance to live that out. And I'm blessed to do that. I was the one building bigger barns. But God had mercy on me. Don't tell me God can't use you. God will knock you off off your horse just like he did with Paul. And will blind you and use you. I got knocked off my horse. And my physical sight is not as good as my my spiritual sight. God was prepping me and and motivating me and, and, and molding me and testing me and putting the fire under me and purging me to be able to be used by him for his glory. And but then I realized he was using me anyway. Before I accepted him, he was still using me because I it came. There's comes a choice in every man's life, every woman's life. That you have to make a decision. You can't stay neutral. And your indecision is a decision against him. If you're not for him, you're against him. That's just plain and simple. 
And God will use those who are against him to glorify him. Because those who believe will always conquer. No matter what the antagonists and the haters of God and Jesus Christ, I am a firm believer and I've witnessed this. No matter what situation we're in, we are more than a conqueror. Because we're going to live life abundantly and life eternal with the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings. And we will be, we're being conformed to his image and we one day will see him like he truly is because of our being conformed. What happens to those who reject him and get to live a little longer? I, I, you know, for me, it would be like if, if that, if that day, that minute, which we don't know who's, what time that is for each individual, but there's a day where your rubber meets the road and God says, make a decision. I've shown you enough of me through nature and the things that I've done. How many times have you told me if I get you out, I, I, you'll serve me. This is the last time and go ahead because you know the truth and you hold the truth in your, in your, in your unrighteousness. God says, I'm going to turn you over to yourself and let you live out your life knowing the truth, but rejecting me. I'm going to ratify your decision not to love me, not to be married to me. And you want to get as far away from me as possible. But there's one thing, the day is going to come where you're going to know the truth and the truth it's going to set you free, not set you free to be with me, but the truth's going to damn you to hell because you will admit that you rejected him and you would have said, give me one more chance. And when you die, you want to say, let me go back and tell my family members. Oh, no, you don't get to do that one. You don't get to do that one. Too many times preachers are trying to uh, the family wants the preachers to preach these ungodly people into heaven. We can't. It's hard to say anything about them. We don't know. Just because they show up in a church or, or some kind of facility that looks like it's godly don't mean anything. That body's been dead. It's the soul that they need to be concerned about. But that soul decision on their destination is made on this side. God will use you. One of the things that I tell people all the time, God loves you so much that he'll take home a saint to try to wake up an ain't. You're sitting there crying for them because you miss them and God is trying to tell you, I love you so much, I'm going to remove that which may be hindering you as a saint because you won't come to me and I have to do some things to you and allow things to happen to you that you may decide to turn to me. But you know, oftentimes we become so callous with death and murder and killing, it doesn't make a difference. But God will, can, and he wants to use you. You have to determine. Are you going to be used as a vessel for honor or a vessel for dishonor in accepting the salvation, the free gift that cost him, that cost him everything, his son. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to whomsoever believe. That's whomsoever. That's me and you. Don't get caught up into the sovereignty of God of knowing who will be saved and who will be not. The gospel is there for you to reject or to receive because God wants to use you and he will use you. But you have to play a part in the vessel of dishonor or honor. You have an opportunity to accept him and believe in him as he truly is. Walk into this light. Don't turn your back on it. Yes, it's going to expose some stuff in you that you never believe. But guess what? I tell you what, once that weight of sin, that yoke of bondage is lifted up off of you, you put on his yoke, 
His yoke is light, airy, breezy, beautiful, wonderful, not so burdensome. Because his yoke tells you to let's say to, to say in your vocabulary, let your yes be no, yes be yes, and your no be no. You don't have to vacillate. You don't have to make excuses anymore. Because God paid the penalty for your sin. You don't have to live in yesterday's coat. You can put on the robe of glory and walk out this life with God. So I want to encourage you today. Come to Christ. Get in a Bible teaching church. Not a church teaching you about uh, prosperity and coming up and growing up and all that stuff. Because if you look at the Bible clearly from Genesis Revelation, if you were a king, you stayed a king. If you were a pauper, you stayed a pauper. God was not focused on your prosperity of your of your flesh, but the salvation of your soul. It doesn't mean that you can't move up the economic ladder, but God is least concerned with that and more concerned that you move up the ladder into heaven. So this is Pastor Jay with Real Talk Weekend, always wanting you to be encouraged and blessed. Peace.